and welcome. How are you? It's Eric Erickson here. It is Wednesday, the middle of the week. Two more days to go after this one. Uh, Maybe we can get through it together. I hope we'll be able to get through it together. All right, the phone number, if you want to be a part of the program this morning, is, what is my number? 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You can also get me on social media. Uh, You should follow me on Instagram. You'll like me better on Instagram. (laughs) <laughs> the 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 um you know i am virtually everywhere uh ew erickson uh, i'm not on snapchat and i refuse to be on snapchat because someone actually got ew erickson and then tried to sell it to me and i just there was nothing doing so i'm not there i don't want to be there no 40 no year old married man should be on snapchat anyway if you are you, we, we got to question you so uh but instagram twitter facebook youtube ew erickson you can find clips of the show and and the like and now we got to get started with all of the news and And to begin with, oh my goodness, um, how do I even, I don't know where to begin on this because I'm, 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 I risk angering myself and you over this by going in this direction, but with a devil may care attitude, I, I think we need to do this. I'm embarrassed as a conservative for some of the things going on in the conservative movement right now. Uh, I I have worked very hard over the years within the conservative movement to find good candidates. You know, at my first Red State gathering, when I organized these, when I was the editor of Red State in 2009, uh, we invited some up-and-coming people uh, who were running for office that you may have heard of. Uh, There was a state representative from South Carolina named Nikki Haley. There was a... uh, a lawyer in Texas named Ted Cruz. There was a state senator in Florida named Marco Rubio. Uh, they were at my first Red State gathering. These are the candidates we supported uh, as a website uh, that I supported, that I campaigned for and fundraised for to get in into uh, Congress and the the governor's mansion in South Carolina. They, they've become friends of mine over time. Uh, we have over the years had a number of great conservatives. Uh, Jim DeMint is a friend of mine. And I, y'all, I just, I dearly, love the conservative movement and think it is full of wonderful people and what has gotten into us. There are 243 outstanding research studies on hydroxychloroquine and its effect on patients. Many of those studies are on uh, outpatient care and whether hydroxychloroquine with erythromycin and zinc actually does good. Uh, While the media headlines are that it has been definitively proven not to work, uh, actually there are 243 research studies out there. The media has politicize the issue in response to what they perceive as the president politicizing the issue. And there's still a lot to learn about how the medicine works. Uh, In 2005, there was a National Institutes of Health study that showed that SARS, which is a type of coronavirus, uh, was actually uh, defeated by hydroxychloroquine. The problem with the study, if you actually read it, is that it was in cells in labs, not actually in human beings in hospitals. So we, we've got to actually have the uh, have studies within hu- humans, and and there are some studies that suggest it worked. There are some studies that suggest it didn't. There are some studies that suggest it works early. There are some studies that suggest it works late. There are some studies that suggest it increases death. Uh, There are 342 outstanding research surveys on, uh, or 243 rather, outstanding research surveys on hydroxychloroquine. Uh, The data is still to come in. I don't know what the studies say. Nobody knows what the studies say. The the data is pending. Uh, 
I know all of this because I pay attention to epidemiological research experts who have to study this as part of their job. Uh, Laurel Bristow, who I've had on this program, who's an epidemiological researcher who's traveled the globe, who studies COVID-19, who is actively involved in the research and development of a vaccine and and other treatments, uh, keeps up on this stuff. And I found out that there were 243 outstanding research um, studies on, on hydroxychloroquine, and particularly in outpatient studies, from her by following her Instagram account, which is King Gutter Baby. Had she known she was going to have 100,000 followers uh, by being an expert on on COVID-19, she would have picked a different name. But nonetheless, um, and so what did the conservative movement do? The movement, and I, I use the movement as a precise term. Um, the movement is a collection of organizations and individuals and donors who have for decades now gathered together in various ways to advance the cause of conservatism, limited government, reduced spending, fiscal responsibility, uh, tax cuts, pro-life measures. You've got fiscal conservatives, social conservatives and the like. And, And I've been a supporter in those causes. So members of the conservative movement, I shouldn't say the movement, but members of the conservative movement, uh, organized a press conference. And in that press conference, put a number of doctors on stage. None of us can remember who all the doctors are. In fact, Gina Ellis, who I've had on this program, very nice lady. She's a lawyer for the president's campaign. Uh, she, she was, was uh, upset with me last night for my response to this press conference, uh, pointing out that, that Stella Emanuel, one of the doctors, the doctor who overshadowed everyone else, uh, if this is the if this is the expert, then we should all be ashamed. And she said, well, this is the expert because she's the only only doctor who's, who's dealt with hydroxychloroquine who was willing to stand up and speak. No, actually, there were a bunch of doctors there in front of the Supreme Court for a press conference to talk about the use of hydroxychloroquine as an effective treatment against COVID-19. But you don't remember any of those other doctors. She didn't remember any of those doctors. She thought it was just Stella Emanuel. It wasn't. There were these other doctors. But I can't tell you their names now. I think Dan Erickson, the doctor from California, was there, among others. But the reason that no one remembers is because this woman dominated the press conference. And she actually said some strong stuff. That there's no reason to to have fear about masks. Hydroxychloroquine works. Now, she admitted her doctor's office wears masks, uh, but that there's no reason to because there's hydroxychloroquine and and people can take it and be fine. Now, social media giants have taken down the video, which I think they should not have done. It just gives it more attention and exposure. More people are talking about this today than yesterday, in large part because the president and Donald Trump Jr. recirculated the video of this woman speaking, saying how good she was. But there's a problem. This woman dominated the press conference, therefore she defines the press conference, and this woman has insane views. Now, let me tell you about my insane views, because we need to juxtapose my insane views from this woman's insane views. I I, I believe, I, I genuinely believe, and some of you will be horrified to know it. I genuinely believe there was a man named Adam and a a woman named Eve who were created directly by the hand of God and placed in a garden called Eden. Eden. I genuinely believe they were the first real human beings. I genuinely believe there was a man named Noah who had three sons who were married. Noah had his wife and he built an ark and God saved them from a flood that wiped out all of the earth, including the Garden of Eden and the Nephilim. 
I fully, genuinely believe there was a man named Moses who parted the Red Sea, who led the Israelites out of Egypt and led them to the promised land. I fully believe there was a King David. I fully believe there was an Ark of the Covenant. I fully believe there was a man named Jesus who was born of a virgin, who was uh, it was was God, fully God and fully man, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he will return to judge the living and the dead, the quick and the dead. I, I fully, genuinely believe that is true. I believe in a physical resurrection. I, I, I genuinely physically believe in a physical, real Jesus Christ. It is not a metaphor for something. He is not a metaphor. He is a real person. He exists currently in a fold of space and will return. And the world, like a thief in the night, we do not know the day he will come back, but he will come back and everyone on this planet will bow before him and proclaim him Lord. And he will separate the people of the planet between those who accept him as their Lord and Savior and those who don't and those who don't will be separated for eternity. Some with horrible, horrible fates. I genuinely believe this to be true. And the world, the cultural left, the secular uh, world believes that this is all a bunch of hooey. And I believe it is real. And you know, I'm not the only one who believes it real. Two, three billion people on this planet believe this is real. We outnumber those who think it's nuts. And the world thinks these are nutty ideas. The world these days finds it disqualifying. If you believe in, in a heaven and a hell, if you believe in an Adam and Eve, if you believe in a Noah, the world thinks you're discredited. And, and we all stand together united in that. But even for me, someone who literally believes in an actual Adam and an actual Eve and an actual garden and an actual Noah and an actual flood and an actual physical death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, even for me, it is a bridge too far to put a woman on stage to make statements about hydroxychloroquine and know that this woman also believes that women's gynecological problems are caused because they're having sex with demons while they sleep. And that's what this woman believes. It is a bridge too far for me to accept uh, that, that people in a dreamland-like state have sexual relations with witches and demons, and that, for example, um, ovarian cysts are actually coagulated demon sperm. And I'm sorry that I had to say that. That just grosses me out to even say. But there you have it. That's what this woman believes. This woman has also said in the past uh, that, that alien DNA is currently used in medicine. Now, uh, it, that's not the media saying she says that. She, You can go on YouTube and find the woman's sermons where she talks about these things, where she talks about uh, the, the, having sex with demons in, in, in dreamlike states, where, where, where she believes that dabbling in the occult causes problems. I actually agree with her on that. Dabbling in the occult causes problems. I, I've advised my children never play with a Ouija board. I, I believe it's of the occult. I, I believe these things are true. And, of course, the, the, the world scoffs at me for believing these things are true. But I'm sorry. If you're going to have a woman on stage who is a doctor who wants to talk about hydroxychloroquine and, and, and let her dominate and overshadow all the other doctors on stage, uh, you should find out who this woman is and thoroughly vet her views. Because she's now thanking the Daily Beast for exposing her views by raising the level of awareness about incubus and succubus. She actually is doing that. 
uh, and and she discredits the other doctors on that platform. None of you can remember who they were. In fact, the president's own lawyer seemed unaware that there were other people on that stage who had similar things to say about hydroxychloroquine because this woman so dominated the press conference, overshadowed all of it, and now the president had to abruptly end a press conference when people pointed out to him, did you not know she believes that women's gynecological problems are caused by having sex with demons? I mean, the president had no idea who can blame him. No one knew. Well, the media does. And as a result, they were able to completely discredit valid points by other doctors. Who does this? This is amateur hour within the conservative movement. It is it is amateur matter in the conservative movement. Um, I, I'm y'all. Y'all, we got problems. Demon sperm is not one of them. And this woman seems to think it's a problem. And the media has been able to completely ignore what these other people on that stage had to say because they could so focus on what this woman believes that is outside the mainstream for even conservative Christianity. And and I got to tell you, uh, there are people... In, in fact, I, I need to read this because I, I engaged with someone online. Uh, you're wondering, who are the Nephilim? Well, let me let me read you the passage of where it comes from. Genesis 6, when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal, their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children with them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Then God saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted so he that he had made humans. His heart was deeply troubled and he declared he would wipe from the earth the race of humans I have created. Now, some people read that the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards as they continued after the flood. Um, that is that that is a terrible, terrible, terrible Christology one, uh, because you do get a sense of, of Christology from Noah. Also, it is a terrible reading of this passage uh, by people who read it and decide, hey, uh, you know, the Bible speaks to me. I don't need to pay attention to what the 2000 year consensus of Christianity is. I actually know that what what uh, what Noah or what Moses is doing when he writes that is he's providing a, a whole view of things from the exile of the garden up to the flood. So the Nephilim existed in, in those days when God already starts to see humanity getting corrupted to the end when God decides humanity has become so corrupted, I must wipe it out. The Nephilim exist in that time. They don't exist after the flood. Neither does the Garden of Eden. God wipes everything out except for Noah and his family. And yet this woman seems to believe the Nephilim still exists. That actually is contrary to Scripture. If you believe that the Nephilim were on the earth those days and also afterwards means that they existed after the flood, then you must believe that God failed when God said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret having made them. You, you God was not complete in his destruction of everything created if you believe the Nephilim exist afterwards. And that's what this woman seems to believe. It's contrary to scripture. There's no reason to defend this. And she completely distracted from valid points by valid doctors who I actually tend to agree with on hydroxychloroquine. 
but it's real hard to defend any of them because you don't even know who they were because this woman dominated the press conference and it was amateur hour within the conservative movement for putting this woman up there without paying attention to all the other stuff she believed. Hello there. Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny the the way, you know, I, there are lots of ways that uh, this is this is not my theological hour, but uh, forgive me, but I, I've encountered a number of people listening uh, just a few minutes ago or even yesterday, my evening show following me on Twitter saying, well, well, I, I mean, the, the Nephilim could still be around. This woman could still still be right. I, I mean, after all, uh, Genesis six says that the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. Well, yes, uh, but uh, just three or four verses later, it says God wiped everything out. Um, so did God wipe everything out or not? Uh, and you, you do have to have some level of discernment in how you read this stuff. And this will, y'all, I'm just, I'm aggravated by the people. Listen, um, there are a bunch of studies out there, over 200 studies on the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine. I actually know people who attribute their their turn against the virus to the use of hydroxychloroquine. My, my agent in radio was at death's door and they administered him the, the hydroxychloroquine erythromycin combo and he turned the corner. Shortly thereafter, he attributes his success to the use of hydroxychloroquine. There are a whole lot of people out there who do. And there are a whole lot of studies out there still. We don't have the research yet because they're still being reviewed. A lot of the studies we have are very small samples of 25 to 50 people, which really can't tell you anything. There were such good points to be had. There were such good points to be made. And several of the doctors at that press conference made great points, and we don't remember any of it. At the same time, I do think it was bad form for the tech giants to take down the video. Uh, and, and the reason is is the Streisand effect. In 2005, Barbara Streisand sued a photographer for having taken a picture of her home. He was documenting coastal erosion up the coast of California. He took 12,000 pictures. Uh, her picture, according to the, the uh, lawsuit, had been viewed six times. Two of those six views were Barbara Streisand's lawyers as they built their case against the photographer to take down the down the picture. After the lawsuit was filed, the picture was viewed 408,000 times in a month. It has been dubbed the Streisand effect. You demand that something be taken off the internet, you massively increase the exposure to it. Uh, this, uh, the, me, the, the, the left got the video of this woman taken off Twitter and Facebook. It's now circulating. Whole websites have been set up for the purpose of housing this video so people can see this doctor. The left, by being censorious, has amplified the doctor's message. And there's a message to be had in the use of hydroxychloroquine. Meanwhile, the president has a press conference and, and the people who, when the, he praises the woman for saying what she said, the media immediately says, uh, did you know about the demon sperm? Did, did you know about the woman's other views? And of course, the media uses the, the one to discredit the other. Now, let's be honest here. Conservatives exist within a double standard in the press. And I want to talk about this a little bit when we come back. Uh, if, if a city councilman in Nowheresville, Texas, says something racist, every Republican in the country is expected to denounce the guy. Meanwhile, the left can still go fundraise with uh, Louis Farrakhan a week after he calls Jews cockroaches and the media gives them a pass. There is a double standard into which we exist, and we need to be mindful of that and do better. 
Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, if you feel the need to opine on um, sleeping with demons in your dreams. <laughs> I can't believe this is the topic. This is what everybody's talking about still, nonetheless. Um, yeah, you you can call me. 877... <laughs> Oh my gosh, what has happened to this country? We have lost our minds. Oh, the uh, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Them's the numbers. Oh, all right. Serious moment here. I I, I think it is, it, it is true that there is a double standard in the media when it comes to conservatives and progressives. And it's one we've always known. I do think that there is a liberal bias in the media. I do. I I, I don't think you can question it at this point. Um, It's always laughable to me to see people on the left outraged that the media uh, has a conservative bias and their proof is that they dared to allow a conservative on television. Yes, they allowed one conservative on a panel with three Democrats. You know, when I was at CNN, this is what would happen uh, typically is you would have me, uh, a a hardcore diehard partisan of the left, and then a supposedly objective person who had worked for Democrats all their life. And it was always me against everyone else. And I actually like that. This is one reason Rush Limbaugh pushed me years ago to, to start at CNN and then eventually moved to Fox is that uh, I needed to get my missionary training in first. And and I did. And I loved it. And I actually made friends with people on the left. Uh, and, and some of them would privately concede that there is a liberal bias in the media. So when you know going in that there's a liberal bias, one thing you've got to do, I mean, it's the same way in college. If, if you've got a teacher who hates you, One of the things that you have to do if you've got a teacher who hates you is you've got to be on your A game at all times. Give them no excuses. And so if they're going to to hate you and punish you, uh, you, make sure they're punishing you because you've done your absolute best work and, and then it becomes obvious to everyone that there's a real bias. Don't give them an excuse that they can hide behind to go after you whether you're dealing with a difficult teacher or an employer or or anyone you think is out to get you. The media is out to get conservatives. For years, the media has defined conservatism and Republicans as the same. They're not. For years, the media has gone out of their way to put on uh, crazy conservatives to undermine cases. For years, when it came to pro-life stuff, I had this experience at CNN. Uh, whenever there was a pro-life issue, uh, they always wanted to put a male pro-lifer on and then surround him with females. So he looked like the bad guy. You know, I refused, actually, while I was at CNN to go on and talk about pro-life matters uh, because I knew that would happen to me. I would be the pro-life man against the the pro-child-killing uh, women at CNN, and I always recommended pro-life women. And inevitably, they never even bothered to reach out. They just went and found a different man. Occasionally, they would. And it was always a surprise when, when they actually would put a, a pro-life woman on. There are plenty of pro-life women out there. Most of the pro-life movement is, is run by women. Peggy Nance, uh, Charmaine Yost was, was uh, the, the head of one of the great pro-life groups out there, and a number of other women uh, who are, are out there in the pro-life movement defending pro-life values who never get asked to be on TV because the media really wants you to believe that everyone who is pro-life is a man who wants to control a woman's uterus. And conservatism has to fight against this.
And one of the ways we do is we, we advance strong women in pro-life positions and make it so abundantly obvious that they are there and so abundantly obvious that they actually are in charge. They're not just figureheads and that it's impossible for the media to ignore them. And increasingly that's happening. Increasingly, you do see the media now, even at CNN and MSNBC, having to put on pro-life women. Because the conservative movement got smart, got savvy, got really good people, really competent women uh, who were put in charge of great organizations, who helped found great organizations, who fundraise for those organizations, who believe in the cause, and don't embarrass us. So when you're confronted with the defense of the president, oftentimes what happens is the media likes to put on the craziest person who can defend the president. Notice, by the way, I I was doing regular media hits as a conservative critical of the president until I said, despite those criticisms, I would vote for the president. I hardly do any TV anymore because the media really doesn't want someone to come on and say, well, you criticize the president. Why would you support him? Well, have you seen the other side? No, they don't want to get into that. They got to portray all the president's supporters as crazy. So when you, when you have a woman stand in front of the Supreme Court with a group of fellow doctors to make the case for hydroxychloroquine as an effective treatment, make sure that this doctor actually is credible, competent, and not nuts. And I'm not talking about uh, defenses of, of Christendom because the media is going to portray everyone that way and it that winds up typically hurting the media because the media will hang their hat on someone having Christian beliefs and it winds up going terribly for them because they forget that because no one in their newsroom believes in Christian values that in fact 3 billion to 4 billion people on the planet do and it always blows up in their face when that happens. I, so I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about someone who's gotten on a stage and defended the physical resurrection of Christ or the existence of Adam and Eve or a global flood. But when you have a woman who is a doctor who stands on a stage and makes a persuasive case for hydroxychloroquine, please, for the love of God, make sure that this person does not believe that uh, women are having sex with demons in their sleep and, and getting ovarian cysts as a result. Please, for the love of God, don't have a woman on the stage who believes that uh, women are entering an astral plane and having sex with witches, and that's causing miscarriages. And please, for the love of God, don't have a woman on the stage who has talked about alien DNA in use in medicine. Because that just gives the media the opportunity to undermine the person. It is not outside of the mainstream of global thought to believe in the physical death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe one day it will be. And I'll have to change my tune. But what this woman's saying isn't even bound within scripture. It is a personal belief not ascribed to within Christendom. And it allowed the media to discredit everything they were saying, much of which was good. The conservative movement has always known, ever since I've been active within the conservative movement and, and been doing more and more media, the conservative movement has always known that you, you got a few cranks within the movement. The left has a bunch of cranks within the left, and the left can put their cranks on TV, and the media gives them a pass, and they hold ours to double standard. So the conservative movement has always been on the game. It's one of the reasons, by the way, the conservative movement has been so effective historically in the country. Now, I realize there's this populist brand of people out there. Some of you right now say, what is conservatism conserved? 
actually, it's done a great deal for Western civilization. The conservative movement has allowed us to build up a robust military. The conservative movement has allowed us to build up a free market system that, that rivals everyone. The conservative movement has allowed us as a country to maintain mostly pro-growth policies. The conservative movement has allowed us to maintain within the judiciary and, and arena of judges that still believe in, in the concepts of limited government. Even John Roberts, for all of his fault, actually he wrote numerous opinions restraining the size and scope of the federal government this year, including his opinion on the, the Consumer Financial Protection Board. Conservatism has actually done a lot. The people who say what has conservative done, they, they were never really intellectually involved within the conservative movement to begin with. The conservative movement is worth conserving. But you don't conserve the conservative movement when you forget the first rule of the conservative movement, which is you don't put the cranks at the forefront because the media then defines and discredits the rest of the movement that way. You know, if you and I went out today and we held a fundraiser with someone who turned out to be a white supremacist and we did not know, the media would call for us to give every penny back and denounce the person and largely every one of us would do so. But Louis Farrakhan, who believes that Jews are like cockroaches, regularly entertains Democrats, and the media holds the never holds them to the standard that they hold the right to. And the reason is because the media is biased against the right, and we know these things. And so we've always done a better job of vetting. We've always done a better job of figuring out who these people are. We've always done a better job of not associating with nefarious sorts because we know the media will never give us a pass. And, and we, it seems like we've forgotten this rule. In the age of Trump, anyone who wants to publicly hump the president's leg, we put them on a stage and say, be like that person. No, you don't be like that person. You gotta be smart about it. And, and it's, it's just, it's not smart. And I'm, I'm embarrassed generally for the movement uh, that people would do this, particularly when there are life and death stakes, this literally with, with, with hydroxychloroquine. It was just, it was a sad distraction that shouldn't have happened and it did. And, and I'm just, I'm sure the woman is very nice. God bless her. She's not afraid to, to testify about Jesus Christ. And that's good. But she shouldn't have been the voice that dominated the stage. She just shouldn't have been. The doctors had good views. And no one can tell me their names. I think Dan Erickson has, has come out very vocally. He was one of the doctors out in California. They took his YouTube video down too. I want to talk, by the way, about uh, YouTube and Google and the like when we come back uh, because there is stuff to say there. But y'all, come on, please. I, I hope you understand what I'm saying here. There, there's no reason for me to continue belaboring this point. It's just conservatives need to be on their A game at all times. And this was not being on our A game. And as a result, not only uh, did this undermine the message, it also undermined the president yesterday who had his press conference and started being asked about this woman and his thoughts. He clearly had no idea that the woman believes these things. He's the president of the United States. He's not online uh, reading all these articles about this woman's views and watching her YouTube videos. And by the way, the press isn't just saying this about the woman. She's actually got YouTube videos videos where she herself says this stuff. So they're not putting words in her mouth. Um, I just, we got to do better, y'all. We, we really do. We've got to win. As a conservative movement, we need to win on the battlefield of ideas against the left. The left believes that they can uh, win through fear and intimidation and making people too scared to stand against them. And the way the right stands up to them is not to behave like them, but to, on the battlefield of ideas, put forward better ideas that galvanize more Americans so they may not stand up publicly to the left, but they will go into the ballot box and reject the left. And maybe that'll happen in November. Maybe it will. But our ideas and our values must matter in the argument. And right now, it just doesn't seem like they do.
Hello there. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, when we're talking about fiction and, and, and mythology here, here's one. This is an op-ed from Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue is a... <laughs> gosh wow i'm sorry momentary distraction from a listener who just emailed in uh charlie and philip down the line i'm going to i'm going to read you the email from listener greg because i do believe that uh we may need to do this jim as well you need to be included on this uh can we get a demon sperm PSA to go along with all the ad council PSAs that play during your commercial breaks? I, I believe, Greg, that may be possible. I, we've got a crack team of people who may be able to put together a PSA uh, about the dangers of that. We really, oh man, we, <laughs> we should do that. We should. Um, Greg, you're a bad influence on this program. Um, okay. Black-on-black crime is a dangerous myth, according to Teen Vogue. Here's the sub-headline. This op-ed addresses how white supremacists have long promoted the idea that black people are inherently more violent. Black Lives Matters is an affirmation. Oh, I'm sorry. Teen Vogue decided to put a pop-up in my way. Black Lives Matter is an affirmation in a world that has made it abundantly clear that too many black lives don't matter. The movement represents a generation of black people who are taking the metaphoric baton from ancestors who were enslaved, tortured, and killed for merely existing in the bodies in which they were born. The Mapping Police Violence Project has found that black people are currently more than three times as likely as white people to be killed by law enforcement. That's not really true. This enduring violence is upsetting. And in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, people got upset on a global scale. In response to this rallying cry for respect and justice, some have tried to discredit the movement, simultaneously placing blame on black victims with a phrase that has been used by white supremacists for years, black on black crime. Uh, a report released by the Department of Justice in 2017 found that of all the violent crimes committed between 2012 and 2015, 22.7 were committed by black people and 63% of those were committed against other black people. This is in comparison to 44% of all violent crimes committed by white people, 57% of which are committed against other white people. According to the data, white people commit crimes against other white people about the same rate black people do against other black people. But despite these numbers, people aren't discussing the white-on-white crime problem. Well, because there's an answer to the question if you're not looking for racism and everything. And the racism, uh, the issue tends to be that um, white crimes tend frequently to be crimes of passion against known people and other crimes within the black community oftentimes are gang violence and the like uh and you got to be careful there for intra-racial violent victimizations the rate of black on black violence 16.5 victimizations per thousand black people was higher than the rate of white on white violence 12 
per thousand white people and Hispanic on Hispanic violence. This is actually from the Department of Justice report the guy links. The rate of violent crime was higher for intraracial victimization than for interracial victimization during 2012 to 2015. The rate of violent crime committed against a white victim by a white offender was 12 victims per 1,000 compared to 3.1 per 1,000 for the committed by a black offender. The rate of violent crime against a black victim by a black offender was 16.5 victimizations compared to 2.8 for those committed by a white offender. Um, so what we're actually reading here is that this person kind of gets it wrong when you look at per thousand people. Um, when you have a, a black victim of the white offender, a total violent crime is 2.8 per thousand people. And for a black offender and a black victim, it's 16.5 for a white victim. The white offender is 12% when the black offender, uh, or the black offender and a white victim is 3%. So to put this in perspective, a, a white victim with a white offender is 12 violent crimes per thousand people age 12 or older. And a black victim with a black offender is 16.5 per thousand people. In other words, uh, white people are more likely to commit violence against white people and black people are more likely to commit violence against black people and Hispanic people are more likely to commit violence against Hispanic people. The problem, of course, though, is that black people commit violence against black people at a higher rate per capita. It's not a racist talking point to point that out. It is actually not a myth. It is actually fact. And that's sad that we're being yelled at for racism when reading the Department of Justice's own report during now this report came out in 2017, mind you, but it is a careerist statistician looking at the era of Barack Obama. And there's, it's not racist to point this stuff out. You know, data really isn't racist. You can interpret it through a racist lens but it's actually not racist to point out that black on black violence is actually a thing and not a myth. Uh, what's crazy is you've got a publication like Teen Vogue. I don't know any teen who actually reads Teen Vogue. It is a communist publication as far as I can tell. I mean, really, it is a propaganda outlet. When, when I talk about the, the Chinese subsidizing American media and, and pushing stuff and having reporters in their pocket, it, it's it, Teen Vogue is one of the things that I think of. I don't know that the Chinese are paying them, but they certainly have a lot of sympathetic people on the payroll who seem to love communism and hate the United States and are routinely uh, engaged in a pattern of telling us that, that things that are real are myths. And you're a bad racist person if you believe the truth. I don't understand. I mean, liberalism just causes brain rot. It does. Uh, when, when there is something that is true, I mean, look at all the deaths in Chicago, how many people in Chicago are regularly killed in black on black violence? Typically it's gang violence, gang related, and somehow we're to believe it's a mythology. And you know, the, the stark reality here, 
is that um, it, it, we should be having a conversation about this. Everyone wants to have a conversation about police brutality, uh, but we should be having a conversation about the destruction of the family of the two-parent nuclear household within the black community and about the the rise in violence in the black community and the rise of gangs and the use of drugs and all of that. But we're not allowed to have those conversations because it's racist. we got to wait for the black community to have those, and they're not having those conversations. Uh, they, if, if anything, prominent Democratic leaders of the left blame white Republicans for those problems. And now you've got Black Lives Matters out there saying the two-parent nuclear household is bad anyway. By the way, I've been appalled to see a number of Christian uh, theologians who have gotten woke out there claiming that the two-parent nuclear household is not a a, a thing and, and it should be the community raising kids. Where do these people come from? Uh, wokeness is a mental health issue, I think, uh, the, the way these things are going these days. It's Eric Erickson here. Making sense of current events during this extraordinary time can be trying. Conceived in Liberty, the Bradley Speaker Series is a new video series that offers meaningful perspectives through engaging 15-minute interviews. Visit bradleyfdn.org liberty to watch their most recent episode. It features British author and historian Andrew Roberts. Now, if you haven't heard of Roberts, he's the author of numerous award-winning books, including his most recent, Churchill Walking with Destiny. Roberts is the foremost expert on Winston Churchill. In this episode, he addresses Churchill's approach to governing during a crisis and how he evolved from status to staunch advocate of the free market system. Roberts also shares his take on the destruction of historic monuments. That's Bradley with an L-E-Y, and at the end of it, fdn.org slash liberty to watch the video. Bradleyfdn.org slash liberty. New episodes debut weekly, so come back often, subscribe to their YouTube channel, be notified whenever a new one is posted. It's great content, very thought-provoking for those of you who actually want to be inspired and engage with new ideas and maybe from authors and others you haven't heard of, bradleyfdn.org slash liberty. Welcome! It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia and beyond. The full number is... 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, them's the number. We must discuss, I was going to do this last hour, but I just got hung up on on having sex with demons and, and, and witches causing gynecological problems. I, who knew? We're going to move on from that. We're, we're going to move on because... The Attorney General of the United States testified before the United States House Representatives Judiciary Committee yesterday. It was beginning as we were ending the show. Well, he was supposed to testify. He barely got a word in edgewise. Reclaiming my time. In April, times is when does something actually become custom? Reclaiming my time. I'm psyched. This is not a trick question. In this country. And I'm reclaiming my time, Mr. General. Pacific- without, without any remedy at all. I'm reclaiming my time. Let me share with you. Well, you got to let him answer. Reclaiming my time. You reclaiming my time, sir. Reclaiming my time. He found uh, reclaiming no my time without political bias. He said he and found in April, no evidence. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Attorney. In Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time, Mr. Barr. Attorney General, reclaiming my time. (laughs) There are rules by which we operate here. I would ask you to respect them. But the 64 Act did not extend to... Reclaiming my time, sir. In both documents... Mr. Attorney General, reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. I think that's what it's... uh, Okay, uh, reclaiming my time. And again, I'm happy... Shame on you, Mr. Barr. Can I just say... Shame on you. Can I just say... My time has expired... That that was the spectacle that William Barr was subjected to. Hang on a second. 
Hang on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the 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 man just. I, I got one more supercut to play for you because you got to appreciate what the man was subjected to yesterday. Uh, y'all weren't there. I wasn't there. I and it was just infuriating madness to watch these clowns uh, try to question the Attorney General of the United States yesterday. Isn't that correct? No, but no. What is correct is that well, er, 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 what is correct that on February 10th, Monday, no, no, I gave instructions no, no. as to what the. my time. Yeah, I'm answering your question. Well, you got to let him answer. Reclaiming my time. On February 10th, no, sir. On February I, 10th, I directed. Reclaiming my time, sir. Reclaiming my time, and I know you don't want to answer. You are wrong, Mr. Attorney no, General. That said, was he's found he the investigation had been no initiated evi- properly. He said he found reclaiming no my time without political bias. He said he and found in no April, evidence. Reclaiming my time. That's reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. Without without any remedy at all. I'm reclaiming my time. When, when people resist Excuse law enforcement, they're not peaceful. Reclaiming my time. I'm surprised at your lack of respect. For- Gentleman does not have the time. I don't want the time. I just want I want the attorney general to be able to have enough time to respond to accusations and questions. Ask him, and you guys not cut him off. What you want is irrelevant. Uh, do you have anything you want to say in response to the speeches that have been given by the other side, and, and then you've been cut off? Yeah. Well, let's on Lafayette. On Lafayette. The gentleman's time has expired. Tell me the name of the cases. I don't know the name of the cases. Cases Where? Where were they? Carolina and Alabama. You'll have a chance to comment after your testimony is done here today. That it is not a self-defining term as they recognize. Only got two minutes, sir. That they recognized. Mr. Barr, if I may. Yeah, but this is a hearing. I thought I was the one that was supposed to be heard. Well, let me, and I'm going to get there. (laughs) I mean, that's how bad it was. I mean, these buffoons, uh, they they couldn't actually score points except by talking over the guy. I want to play for you actually a couple of the the relevant points that just are are so perfect that encapsulate just what idiots these people are. Uh, Here is um, the attorney general. I forget which congressman he's engaged with here. Prosecutors who make political contributions are identifying fairly strongly with a political party, wouldn't you? Who, who, who makes contributions? You said in 2017 that prosecutors who make political contributions are identifying fairly strongly with a political party, yes. correct? Yes. And in fact, you and your wife have donated over $730,000 to Republican and conservative candidates, including donations of $58,000 to Republican senators and Senate candidates in the four months preceding your confirmation. Are That's you surpri- correct, Are you surprised it? I'm a Republican? Is that correct that you made those donations? Over, over a long period of time. Including just before. Okay. Uh, that's a cumulative of a long Are you surprised I'm a Republican? Oh, and this one. Mr. Attorney General, would it be accurate to say that it's this administration's responsibility, and of course you're part of the administration, to see that federal laws are upheld and that the federal property uh, is secure and safe and protected? Is, is that correct? That's right, Congressman. There's sort of distinct missions. One mission is to enforce federal law. And by the way, the federal government is the sovereign of the United States. We have two sovereigns here uh, in the United States, and we enforce the federal law all over the country. Every square foot of the country, we enforce federal law. The other is protecting federal property, and specifically U.S. courthouses, which are the heart of federal property in all 93 jurisdictions in the United States. And we have the obligation to protect, to 
to protect federal courts, and the U.S. Marshals specifically have been given that obligation. Federal courts are under attack. Since when is it okay to try to burn down a federal court? If someone went down the street to the Prettyman Court here, that beautiful courthouse we have right at the bottom of the hill, and started breaking windows and firing industrial-grade fireworks in to start a fire, throw kerosene balloons in and, and start fires in the court, is that okay? Is that okay now? No, the U.S. Marshals have a duty to stop that and defend the courthouse, and that's what we are doing in Portland. We are at the courthouse defending the courthouse. We're not out looking for trouble. I mean, case closed. At least it should be. Now, there's one more clip I need to play, and I don't... Okay, Um, I have to work on my sanctification. We all do, Uh, and occasionally I get so infuriated with this stuff, I have to watch my mouth because I may say stuff that gets me taken off the radio and the word choices that I tell my kids I would spank them if they used. And I'm about to play something that that, that causes me to fly into a, a, a spittle-fueled rage, and I got to be careful with myself. You need to be careful with yourselves as well when we listen to this. Uh, the, the, this is, uh, oh, you know, the, the, the left-wing uh, activist congresswoman, Jay Paul, who um, is with oh, AOC and, and what's her name, Ilhan Omar, I uh, got to play you this clip. There's a, a relevant point here, a couple of relevant points. I don't know that I can make it through this whole clip. Uh, I, I may need to put my mic on mute so you can't hear what I'm saying as, as I'm yelling at this woman. But yeah, you will be enraged by this woman too. But there are several points that must be made, and you must hear this clip to understand those points. Uh, It would help now that I built that up if I actually had my microphone routed right, wouldn't it? Charlie is rolling his eyes. Uh, on June Attorney 1st, General Barr, I was worried about the District of Columbia, in which protests is federal. In certain parts of the country, you're very aware of those, but when protesters with guns and swastikas very, and I am aware of, flags, of excuse me, Mr. Barr, this is government. my time and I control it. <clears throat> you are aware of certain kinds of protesters, but in Michigan, when protesters carry guns and Confederate flags and swastikas and call for the governor of Michigan to be beheaded and shot and lynched, somehow you're not aware of that. Somehow you didn't know about it, so you didn't send federal agents in to do to the president's supporters what you did to the president's protesters. In fact, you didn't you didn't put pepper balls on those protesters. So the point I'm trying to make here, Mr. Barr, that I think is very important for the country to understand is that there is a real discrepancy in how you react as the attorney general, the top cop in this country, when white men with swastikas storm a government building with guns, there is no need for the president to, quote, activate you because they're getting the president's personal agenda done. But when black people and people of color protest police brutality, systemic racism, and the president's very own lack of response to those critical issues, then you forcibly remove them with armed federal officers. I got to stop there before I say something I regret. This woman's, that that clip of this woman was recirculated by various reporters. Uh, It was recirculated by Jim Acosta. It was recirculated by MSNBC reporters, by reporters at ABC News and the New York Times and the Politico and the Washington Post, all of them enamored with this woman's line of questioning. 
do you know, I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe that anyone tried to burn down the Michigan State Capitol when they were, the protesters were allowed by the police into the building to protest. I don't recall Molotov cocktails and laser beams and cans of beans being hurled. I don't recall in California or Colorado or elsewhere uh, the, the 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 protesters burning down buildings. I, I I I'm sorry. Was there a federal courthouse that the protesters in April burned down? This woman's so stupid she can't distinguish between the two. And the media that's humping her leg on this, they can't distinguish between it either. There's just oh slay queen slay you got him you got him. Except my voice isn't lispy enough to 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 capture the the, the typical reporter who's doing it. Slay queen, slay! You just got Bill Barr. No, she didn't. She proved herself to be an incompetent idiot who can't distinguish between the two and wants to whip people into a racial frenzy when it wasn't the white people burning down. There's a, and you know what? It's not black people burning down the buildings right now either. It is white little hipster Antifa people in their skinny jeans who, thank God, their jeans are so tight they'll never be able to procreate again. But at least we should be able to distinguish between the two. You're not having black people protesting black uh, injustice in Portland, Oregon right now during the day in front of that courthouse. It's a bunch of little white kids who have nothing better to do at home with mom and dad, so they're out Molotov cocktailing the place. When the people were protesting to open businesses back in, in April, they were allowed in to the Michigan State Capitol. Were there idiots there? Yes. There were some idiots with incendiary statements. It's like the two idiots who wore the 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 SWAT stick of face masks to Walmart to protest. You don't do that if you want to be taken credible. In the same way, you don't stand up on stage and, and after having years of documented videos on demon sperm beliefs. You, you just don't do that. But they didn't Molotov cocktail. They didn't fire laser beams into the eyes of police. They didn't fire their guns that they brought to their protest. They didn't do any of that. And the fact that, and this is the most annoying part of this, it is reporters from major news outlets who are circulating this as if she got him. Ooh, she got him. She's a good one. You're just such a, you're such a brilliant woman who stood up there. You, you stared down Bill Bard, wouldn't let him talk back to you. You're the boss lady. We got a bunch of idiots in the press these days. We, we got a bunch of babbling idiots who look at this stuff and think about this. I mean, four hours later, they're having to go to the doctor because they, they, they still got one after watching this video of this woman who did nothing but fail to distinguish between peaceful protesters and, and people trying to burn down a federal courthouse. I, people are stupid. And too many of them exist within the re- reporter core of the American press. Uh, th- this woman is, is not some hero. Uh, she, 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 this was the only thing remarkable about this was that this woman was too stupid to be able to distinguish between peaceful protesters and violence and wanted to claim that it was racism that Bill Barr didn't stand in the way of peaceful protests, but it's racist that he's out there trying to stop a federal courthouse from being burned down. And the media is giving this woman a standing ovation. 
maybe they've all been hit in the head with cans of beans. I I, I got to play this audio clip real quick because uh, I got questions and, and maybe you have answers. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. With this new agreement, my administration is using the Defense Production Act to provide a $765 million loan to support the launch of Kodak Pharmaceuticals. It's a great name when you think of it. Such a great name. It was one of the great brands in the world. Then uh, people went digital and Kodak didn't follow. But now under very extraordinary leadership, they are following. And uh, they're doing something that's a different field. And it's a field that they've really hired some of the best people in the world to be taking care of that company and watching that company, watching over it. But it's a breakthrough in bringing pharmaceutical manufacturing back to the United States. Okay, I'm sorry. When did this happen? What did I miss? Kodak is now a pharmaceutical company? I mean, they were the gold standard. This, this is, you know, this is how uh, innovation always gets the companies that try to rest on their laurels. Ultimately, over time, major companies collapse when they rest on their laurels. And, and Kodak was a brilliant, I mean, Kodak was the gold standard in film, really was. Uh, and, and then digital came along and Kodak tried to be dismissive of it, tried to to, to shut that market down and it, digital just exploded. And I haven't used a film camera in years. Now I will tell you, I've got a couple friends of mine. They're hipster photographers. They really are like, and I don't mean that disparagingly, but if you can picture in your mind, what a hipster photographer would look like, that would be what these friends of mine, and they've gone back to film. They have. Um, and Fuji film is, is, is the big deal now. Cause, cause it's more readily accessible, but I'm just, I, I'm, I, I've clearly missed something along the way uh, that Kodak is reinventing itself as a pharmaceutical company, uh, but, but good for them. Eastman Kodak gets a $765 million government loan under the Defense Production Act uh, to help speed up the domestic production of generic drugs. Uh, now, the Wall Street Journal actually has a story on this as well. Uh, it's moving forward with this funding. Eastman Kodak uh, wants to help produce generic drugs. The one-time leader in photography sales is gearing up to produce ingredients for a number of generic drugs, including the antimalarial drug hydroxychloroquine that President Trump has touted in the treatment of coronavirus. Meanwhile, the U.S. is aiming to shift from relying on countries such as China and India, Kodak Chief Executive Jim Contenenza and U.S. officials said. The loan is from the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation, a government agency akin to a bank. The loan is the first of its kind under the Defense Production Act, while which the Trump administration had previously invoked to speed up production of COVID-19-related supplies. Mr. Trump touted the loan uh, on Tuesday. Kodak's loan has terms similar to a commercial loan and must be with, repaid within 25 years. Kodak will produce starter materials and active pharmaceutical ingredients used to produce generic medicines. We have a long, long history in chemical and advanced materials well over 100 years. He, the CEO said he added that, the, that Kodak's existing infrastructure allows the company to get up and running quickly. 
The pharmaceutical focus marks a shift for the company that made a Kodak moment synonymous with photos. At its peak, the Rochester, New York-based company was the Google or Apple of its time, employing 145,000 workers worldwide. The Wall Street Journal reported uh, the company invented the digital camera in 1975. They failed to capitalize on it and filed for bankruptcy in 2012. And now they're shifting gears for the U.S. The production, the benefit of providing the loan to Kodak is to reduce reliance on other countries, particularly China, for drugs. This is actually really kind of neat when you think about it. Uh, we do have a national security interest in reclaiming uh, manufacturing of, of generic drugs to this country. And, and in, in all seriousness, we do. And I know there are some people who dispute that and some people don't think it's true, but China clearly is a national security threat to us. And China is where so many of our generic drugs are made, particularly generic antibiotics are overwhelmingly at this point in time made in China. We got problems. Uh, and at least now we got the potential for uh, benefit and change. Before I get out of here uh, for commercial break, I want to remind you uh, about your ability to go to First Liberty Building and Loan in Noonan, Georgia, if your business needs access to PPP or uh, you need access to greater capital to grow your business. First Liberty Building and Loan, they're over at Noonan. Some of you know the Frost family. They're active in Georgia politics, uh, have been for some time, and they've been doing First Liberty since 1993. Uh, they know how to get businesses to be bigger businesses with access to capital, and they know now how to navigate the PPP process and have been helping a lot of my listeners get into the PPP program. Now, they can't guarantee you access, and oftentimes they get the paperwork, they take care of the paperwork, and then the, the SBA screws everything up and they got to start over. This has happened to more than one person. It's not their fault. They're doing their best. They want to help if they can. The way to do it is go to firstlibertyga.com. That's their website. Firstlibertyga.com is their website. Go to them, check them out, um, and they really do want to help you folks. If they can, uh, reach out to my friends at firstlibertyga.com and see if they can help you uh, get access to capital or a PPP loan. It's me. It is me. Welcome. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. If you would like to be a part of the program, uh, what was I going to talk I know what I was going to talk about. There are a couple of Georgia things that I need to, I, I need to hit here. Uh, in particular, this story from the AJC on... Hospital beds. Georgia hospitals in at least two of the state's health regions have run out of ICU beds, forcing them to improvise space, scramble for staff, and to send some patients on journeys to other parts of the state for care. As coronavirus cases have soared, all ICU beds of the Athens region 12 counties have been full since Friday. That is, all ICU beds in a 12-county area around Athens-Clark County have been full since Friday, according to the state. In South Georgia, Tift Regional Medical Center's nine-county region is down to two ICU beds, but as of today, um, they're full. I have no ICU beds, says the CEO of the hospital, Chris Dorman. And for several days, he's been able to find any anywhere else in the state. The surge also has some hospitals treating emergency patients in hallways. 
The state's COVID-19 case count has soared for weeks and has expected serious cases and deaths have spiked too, reaching levels not seen even in the crisis of the spring. On Tuesday, the state reported 4,293 new cases and 54 deaths with 406 hospitalizations. The summer surge has caught the state flat-footed. And with bed shortages plaguing multiple hospitals, Georgia plans to finally centralize decision-making on how to get the sickest patients to the nearest available days. I I think saying that the state was caught flat-footed is an editorial comment, and I don't think it's actually true. And the reason I don't think it's actually true is because the state has been preparing for something like this to happen. Uh, And they have been working with hospitals. They had not had a centralized plan because it requires working with the hospitals and the various hospital authorities, and they've been putting it in place. Within the next week, the state expects to launch a statewide coordinating center based at Grady Memorial Hospital, which will monitor patient activity and patient overflows and act as a sort of air traffic control in shifting or diverting patients when hospitals become overrun. Cody Hall, a spokesman for Governor Kipp, told the AJC on Tuesday, the state has budgeted $1.2 million for the new coordinating center. The state also is close to reopening a temporary hospital with perhaps 120 beds for non-critical coronavirus patients set up inside the Georgia World Congress Center. An overflow facility is also in the works in Milledgeville. The state is also contracted with Piedmont Healthcare for 62 overflow beds at the Buckhead Campus's main hospital. The first of those beds opened Tuesday. The issue isn't merely space and beds. Patients entering ICUs require specialized equipment, critical care physicians, and nurses with training, specialized training to manage the unit's complicated machines, medicines, and treatments. Dorman in TIF needs 12 such nurses now at his 181-bed facility. The Athens region first plummeted to zero critical care beds on Friday's daily situation report posted by the Georgia EMA and, and Homeland Security Agency. That was the first time Amber Schmidke, a public health microbiologist who tracks the data, had seen an available bed figure hit zero. She said she considers any region with less than five beds to be in a dire situation. Piedmont Athens Regional Medical Center would not address the lack of ICU beds, but acknowledged in a statement that patient health uh, volume fluctuates. St. Mary's Hospital in Athens acknowledged it was declining requests to take ICU patients and diverting ambulances with critical care patients. Both hospitals said they could meet needs by calling on sister facilities. Part of the issue here you have to understand is that we are used to, as a population, being able to go to the hospital of our choice. I live in middle Georgia. I always go to Coliseum Medical Center. If if I can't go to Coliseum Medical Center, God forbid, uh, I can go to the Medical Center of Central Georgia. I'm not going to call it Navison. Uh, and uh, if not, there are other hospitals. You, you may not get your immediate choice. You may not get your immediate case. But it is still possible uh, to get treated in the state. And, uh, you know, they continue now to update the the data. And, and one of the important things, and I want you to be able to see this for yourself, is the, um, is the seven-day moving average with the Georgia Department of Public Health website. If you text the word data to 33777, you will get that link. You'll get a couple of links. One is to the Adams Mask Place. If you need a mask, I really recommend the Adams Masks. Uh, I like them. My wife and kids like them. We've been using them. They're good, uh, and you can you can order them at adams.com. If you text the word data 
33777. You'll get that link. The second link you'll get by texting data to 33777 is a link to the Georgia Department of Public Health website. And one of the great things that they've done is they have changed the um, reporting. And the reporting now is you've got two options. One is the date of report and one is the date of onset. The reason it's so significant to look at the date of onset, because, you know, so reporting gets backlogged and sometimes there's a seven day backlog. And I I am, this is my broken record moment, y'all, but you got to understand this. If you are tested today, January, July 29th, and your test does not come back until August 9th, based on the date of report, you're going to be reported as August 9th. What the Georgia Department of Public Health has done, thankfully now, is is they, they're reconciling the fact that you actually got tested on July 29th, but there was a 10-day backlog. So you can look at the date of onset. And what you see if you bother clicking on the date of onset is that the number's declining. We, we're actually in a daily decline now, uh, which is good. Uh, we went from 5,422 cases on July 6th to 4,200 on July 13th to right now, uh, we're at uh, 3,289. We're headed in the right direction. There are flare-ups in counties that are deeply troubling. Uh, the the east part of the state along the coast, in, in inland slightly, is seeing a huge flare-ups. Jefferson County, Washington County, Johnson County, Evans County, Candler County, Jeff Davis County, Ware County, Charlton County, Wayne County, and then down in the Miller, Decatur, and Seminole County areas along the Florida line, those are bad. Uh, Whitfield County up in North Georgia is bad. But the rest of the state is increasingly on on a reported cases in the last two weeks. Um, We are charted in the right direction. We knew this would happen. We knew there would be a spike, and the state's been preparing Uh, For the AJC to say that the state was caught flat-footed defies actually what's going on out there. It defies uh, what the governor's team has put in place. It defies what the Department of Public Health has put in place. And it defies what the hospitals around the state have put in place. It takes time to do these things. And there was no reason at the beginning of June to start doing these things. But when the cases began to rise in mid-June, it was clear where the trajectory was headed and the state started working. They haven't been caught flat-footed. They've been deliberately pacing themselves, getting things ready for this moment. Just because you can't go to the uh, to the hospital of your choice doesn't mean you're not going to be able to get into the hospital. Everybody, frankly, I think needs to calm down at this point. Uh, are there concerns? Yes. Are we headed in the right direction? Yes. Uh, so so no reason to freak out. The phone number here is 877-973-7425. I am going to go to Athens, Georgia, to Caroline. Welcome to the program, Caroline. Hey, Mr. Erickson. Thank you for your time. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a few things, um, and, and uh, they're short. Uh, I was listening to Fauci this morning on BBC, and he said definitely hydrochloroquine does not work. So I think we need to listen to him. Um, He said masks really work. 
number two, um, those white nationalists who stormed the Michigan uh, House with long arms, that was May 11th. And this was before Floyd was killed on, on May 25th. This was before the video came out of Ahmaud Arbery. Um, their anger and coming into a state house with long arms is about being locked down. Is that correct? Well, so here's the problem with the way you're characterizing it is there were white nationalists in the crowd and no one disputes that, uh, but they were outnumbered probably five to one by small business owners and the media focused on those white nationalists, some of whom carried Nazi flags who were mixed in with the crowd of small business owners. They were essentially hijacking, much as Antifa is hijacking the peaceful protesters out west. Uh, they were hijacking the small business can, owners' protests. Can I protest. ask you something about the word Antifa? The word uh-huh. Antifa means anti-fascist, correct? Uh huh. Yes. I'm not for fascist. Are you? No, but there's a problem there. Where where did Antifa come from? Uh, Antifa was formed by the German Communist Party to fight the Nazi Party. Uh, Antifa, they call themselves anti-fascist, but they're communist. Uh, The Soviets actually subsidized Antifa brigades in Western Europe uh, during the 1980s. I think that word has been um, misappropriated, just... just, um, well, okay, so it, you you, you can word. say it's misappropriated, <laughs> but it, it's worth noting that the Antifa activists who have been marching in, in cities around the country frequently carry with them uh, flags that have the hammer and sickle. Uh, I haven't seen that. I'd love, to, I'd love for you to post some of that because I haven't seen that. And one last point that – and I listened to Barr all day yesterday – and and I know that the Democrats were trying to get points across and and have their understanding of the situation heard by the public. And I get that Barr has the bully pulpit. And and I just wanted to say that I was watching a lot of the, the footage. And now a lot of these federal troops are not behind a wall uh, protecting the the federal buildings, which I understand that is that is their their job, uh, but most most of what I saw were federal troops in the streets firing on peaceful protesters. Now I'm sure there are some bad actors out there, and I don't like them either. Just like I don't like I don't like abortions. I wish there was never one, but you can't legislate religion into law. So what I'm asking is, is why were those federal troops outside of those federal buildings and coming at the protesters that were standing, singing? That's a great question. Um, Have you read the Associated Press report on this? Because, Caroline, thank you for the phone call. The, The Associated Press actually did a very good report on this and actually makes clear Uh, that they weren't going after peaceful protesters. I mean, this isn't me saying this. This is the Associated Press report. I I actually read the Twitter thread by the Associated Press reporter yesterday. Uh, And and what I find fascinating uh, with with Caroline's call is that uh, you can see how each of us is shaped by the media we consume. So, for example... Um, you, you can't legislate religion, uh, so I'm against abortion, but you can't, le- no, you can't, but you can protect human life through the law. Uh, 
So you you can protect a child uh, who no one disputes that that's a child uh, in utero. You can protect that. That's that's not legislating religion. That's protecting a human being. Uh, Caroline has not seen the the uh, Soviet communist symbolism in Antifa. Antifa derives from the German Communist Party uh, battling uh, the German Nazi Party. They're not just because you call yourself an anti-fascist doesn't mean you're a good person. That was actually what they called themselves in Germany and the Soviets funded Antifa brigades in this country and in Western Europe in the 1980s to cause riots. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, the 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 a uh, fist power in the air that that's a a symbol of communism it was used by che guevara it was used by uh joseph stalin it was used by vladimir lenin it was used by hugo chavez uh, and that's the symbol that antifa has chosen to associate itself with the fist in the air and the hammer and the sickle uh i'm not defining them as anything other than they've chosen to define themselves as and to the extent you haven't seen the pictures in the press that shows you how the press is trying to shape the coverage of antifa as somehow peaceful protesters now caroline said she listened to bill barr's testimony yesterday she would have heard Bill Barr note that uh, this isn't a coordinated effort around the country. It's local brigades of these Antifa people who talk online and go to this, but it's not some heavily coordinated presence to our knowledge, but they're in Portland. And if you listened to or watched or read the Associated Press coverage of what was happening, you would see very clearly and the Associated Press goes out of their way to point out that they weren't firing pepper pellets on peaceful protesters. And the fact that you might have seen Video reports that suggested that shows how the media is selectively editing this because the Associated Press actually parked people outside with the protesters and inside uh, with the federal troops who are defending the courthouse. And they noted that the only time the federal troops left the perimeter was when they were when the protesters were trying to tear down the wall to get into the courthouse. That's when they went out and fired on them. It is amazing. Car- Carolyn's call is, is – and thank you, Carolyn, for calling. I, I genuinely appreciate it, and we can agree to disagree on this stuff. But I think if, if you're going to say that one side is getting their worldview formed by Fox News, that we should also note that other media outlets are also trying to shape your worldview. And I think it is fantastic that um, – it, it is fantastic that you recognize this. Uh, that views are being shaped by the media, but I think we've genuinely got to recognize the fact that uh, unless you comprehensively consume the media as I try to do for you guys and and give you as fair an analysis as I can before I give you my opinion on stuff, that we got to realize here that uh, you're also seeing selectively edited stuff. For example, uh, Dr. Fauci uh, on the BBC talking about hydroxychloroquine and masks. Dr. Fauci has said the data right now does not support hydroxychloroquine, but... There are 243 currently existing in the field research studies on hydroxychloroquine. The existing data we have doesn't support it, but there are 243 outstanding studies to look at it. So we can't say it doesn't work and preclude it altogether. We just can't say the data we have right now is either inconclusive or leads towards where it doesn't work. But there are 243 outstanding research studies, many of them looking at outpatient um practice of administering hydroxychloroquine. So all of us, left, right, and center, need to be careful of the media shaping our views. Uh, But we also need to be mindful of history, where Antifa came from, the symbols that it used. And and if Antifa itself is going to define itself with the use of communist symbols, I don't know why I should be prohibited from defining them as a communist organization. 
And I'm sorry, but if you're out there trying to burn down federal courthouses, you're no better than the fascists. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, I, I, you know, I got to circle back to uh, Carolyn's call. Uh, I'm, I'm so glad she was willing to call in. I realize she and I don't see eye to eye, and, and I don't want just sycophants calling into the program. Um, and, and so I appreciate that. And I just, I want to help everyone, including Carolyn, understand my perspective on this. Uh, The media in April and May told you white supremacists stormed the Michigan state capitol to protest. It is undisputed that the white supremacists were not the majority of the people there. But they were the ones the media focused on. It is undisputed at this point that uh, the protesters in Portland, Oregon during the day are peaceful protesters. And at night, Antifa shows up and tries to burn down the federal courthouse. The same media that wanted to focus on the minority of white supremacists who were in Michigan protesting don't want to focus on Antifa in Portland, Oregon. They want to shape a narrative. And what we all have to do is try to not buy narratives, but find the facts and truth. So in Michigan, it wasn't a storming of the courthouse, though that's how the media characterized it. In Michigan, you are allowed by Michigan law to go into the the state capitol building. The police cannot stop you, and the police did not try to stop anyone from going in. And were there white supremacists? Yes. Were there people with open carry? Yes. Were they the same? No. Did some of the white supremacists open carry? Yes. Were there black people there also protesting? Yes. And you wouldn't know that from the media. In Portland, Oregon, you if you just paid attention to your average mainstream media from CNN or MSNBC or ABC, CBS, NBC, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, you would not know that you've got protesters at night who are violent and protesters in day who are peaceful. You got to go beyond how the media narrative shapes and in both sides, this applies to both sides. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the third hour of this here program. And the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You are more than welcome to call in. I need to begin uh, just very briefly with something. On Friday, uh, the father of two good friends of mine received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and the man is an American hero. Jim Ryan, uh, you may know the name of Jim Ryan. He was for a time a congressman from Kansas, a great conservative congressman and great leader in Congress for a number of years. He was the first U.S. high schooler to ever break the four-minute barrier running the mile. He was the 1968 Olympic silver medalist in the 1,500-meter run. He's a three-time Olympian. He put American track uh, back in the record books uh, for the United States of America. He was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom during a ceremony at the White House. The president said he uh, personified the greatness of our country throughout his life. He's a giant of American athletics. I believe he's only the seventh or eighth athlete to be awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He went to Wichita East High School. 
and was on the track team. Uh, he was cut from several teams uh, in his youth, and he started running 100 miles a week, even into the night after getting out of school. It's what he did. When he was 17 years old, he became the first high school athlete to break the four-minute barrier. He ran a mile in three minutes, 59 seconds, and then qualified for the 1964 Tokyo Olympics. He was the Sportsman of the Year from Sports Illustrated in 1966. That year, he also smashed the world record of the mile, three minutes and 51.3 seconds. He was on Sports Illustrated's cover seven times before the age of 25. And then after distinguished representation of the United States in Olympic Games, in 1996, he ran for Congress and won and was there for 10 years until 2006. Uh, Jim Ryan is genuinely a great American. Uh, he has wonderful children, uh, two of whom I count as good friends of mine. Uh, and I, this is so well-deserved and well-earned. The man is a legend. And we should remember and honor men like him who at times, particularly uh, just, just for perspective, in the 1960s, the United States was going through a crisis of faith, kind of like what we're going through right now. Although for I wasn't alive in the 1960s, but friends of mine who were say, actually, that was even worse than what we've got now. And it, we were trying to, to refine our place in the world. And, and were we really going to be the leader of the free world? Which direction were we going to go as a country? And the nation was inspired by young men like Jim Ryan, who through physical prowess, broke record after record competing against a, a world of, uh, behind an iron curtain where athletes were routinely given drugs to give them uh, performance enhancements and competitive advantages. And still he outran them all. And still he reminded Americans of our inherent goodness and our inherent greatness. He won the silver medal, I believe it was at the Mexico City Olympics, I think. Um, he was a, a, a tremendous athlete and to this day inspires kids to get out and run. He inspires kids to put one foot in front of the other. He inspires Americans even now. Uh, the, the man's just a, a legend. He is a hero, uh, and we rarely in this country see the Presidential Medal of Freedom going to athletes. This is an athlete who deserved it, who went on to serve his country in Congress, who served uh, Kansas in Congress. It was committed to limited government uh, and Christian values, and uh, I cannot think of, of someone more worthy of an honor like this uh, who comes from uh, the athletic community and just did great, marvelous things for this country. Uh, and so thank you to the president, and congratulations to the whole Ryan family, and in particular to Jim Ryan uh, for getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, well-earned, uh, well-deserved, and Godspeed, sir. Thank you. Just, I I, I, I wanted to say that, and, and it didn't get enough attention. I didn't think in the media. It's nice today to see Chuck Norris, actually, of all things, come out with a piece on Jim Ryan. Uh, and, and yes, the Chuck Norris talking about the Jim Ryan, uh, is awesome. Uh, what, 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 both of them American heroes. 
Now, I, I, the question of schools continues to come up. I want to play Christy uh, Nome, who is the governor of South Dakota, was on Fox and Friends this morning talking about this. And I, I want you to hear what she had to say about sending kids back to school. So what, tell me the X's right. and O's of what you decided on. Do all kids wear masks at all ages? Where, how have you separated the classrooms? Have you staggered or um, have you staggered the times in which they go in? Can you give us an idea what you decided on? You know, every school district is going to make a different decision that works for their facilities, for their children. Uh, they're going to be back in school. Uh, as far as masks, I am not mandating any masks at the state level. Um, you know, it certainly would be challenging for a child to keep a mask on for seven, eight hours a day. Even while I've sat with a child that had one on, five or ten minutes is, is, a, is very difficult for them. And they're constantly touching it, taking it off, dropping it on the floor. Those all increase rates of infection and are certainly not a, a environment that is going to help them mm -hmm. stay safe. So I think that every school district is approaching it differently and telling parents if your children want to wear masks, they can, but we're not going to make them. I know in New York, uh, Governor Cuomo has said either the children have to wear masks, they have to have some sort of a barricade around each desk, and they have to social distance. So school boards are trying to make decisions, and you have unions getting involved. Are you dealing with any of that there? I would not really. You know, in South Dakota, we certainly have a teachers union, but they've been uh, giving us some feedback as well. And honestly, members of the teachers union are giving different perspectives as well. I met with a, a bunch of parents yesterday, and it was interesting to me because they were parents of diverse backgrounds, different employment, different careers. Every one of them said, I have no idea how my children would ever keep a mask on all day. Yeah. Uh, they just mm -hmm. said some of them were in the healthcare. Uh, field and they said in our hospital every day the workers who work in healthcare don't keep their masks on properly all day long. How do we expect children to right. do that? When and you, so, uh, you know, when you sorry ahead. to interrupt you, but when you talk to the majority of parents, what do they say? Do they mm -hmm. they're for reopening? They are. They want their children in school. They recognize that they're falling behind. And it didn't matter on the income levels, of whether they were people that didn't have many resources or people who had a lot. They all recognized that our children were falling behind and they needed them to be with their teachers who have the expertise to help them reach the highest level of their potential. You know, our pediatrician is sending his kids back to school. Um, I, I think this is more and more happening out there. A lot of people deciding, how do you decide to send your kids back? So this is a level of stress in our house. So, I mean, you guys, you guys understand the, what we're dealing with in our house. My position is that we all need to show each other a whole lot of grace on whether or not to send our kids back to school and also show grace to the administrators of the schools who are getting mixed messages uh, who are trying to figure it out i what i want to focus on with with uh governor christy Nome of south dakota there who was speaking is that she wants to let local school boards in local communities decide for themselves whether or not they are going to proceed with reopening. She wants to be able to allow her local school boards based on the conditions in their local communities decide. And I think that's the right approach. Uh, there, there can be no one size fits all approach here. 
And I think that applies to schools. I think it applies to masks. I think it applies to reopenings, all all of that. Everyone wants some sort of national policy from Washington, D.C. I I don't think you can get a national policy from Washington, D.C. I I just don't think you can. And the reason I don't think you can is because we are a nation of 350 million people spread out over 50 states, some in rural areas, some in in suburban areas, some in urban areas. Uh, Things are different in different places. The virus, when it gets into your community, does not care whether you're rich or poor, white or black, male or female, Democrat or Republican, rural or urban. But it's going to spread in different ways. And there is legitimate fear, particularly among high school students, getting them in high school settings, that they go back to school and they start spreading the virus. They get their teachers sick. They get their parents sick. There's less of a concern among elementary school kids. Uh, there isn't a lot of documentation that at the elementary school level that that is happening, that that uh, kids are significant vectors of the virus. They can get it and they can spread it. Just it's not significant. Uh, letting local school districts decide, showing them some grace, being kind to one another is going to go far. I do have to say this, though. There are a lot of people, including a lot of you, I think, uh, who you're, you're still you remain skeptical of the virus. I, I've I know too many people now who have died of it to be skeptical of it. Louis Gohmert, by the way, the congressman from Texas, has just been diagnosed with COVID nineteen. Uh, keep him in your prayers. My concern with my family and sending my kids back to school is I know in our school community there are. Families that are skeptical, they think it's a plot to get the president. They, they read the fringy websites. Um, and I don't mean that disparagingly. I just, there's so much disinformation out there on both sides. The virus is way worse than a lot of Republicans think and way not as bad as a lot of Democrats think. And I it, it concerns me for my wife's health, who has lung cancer, that if our kids were to bring it home, uh, she could get it from them. What would that do to the mental state of the kids thinking, gosh, they infected their mom and uh, to my wife if she got it uh, and and from other kids in school? Knowing that there are those who don't take it seriously, who don't think it's a big deal, who who aren't doing the things that they need to do to minimize uh, the potential to spread it and to get it. Um, I, it, it that concerns me. It really It really does concern me. There are ways to live your life without being scared of the virus, but also being responsible from it. But I think there are some people who want to show they live by faith, by God, we're going to to go out there and we're not going to change our behavior and and God is with us and, and this virus isn't going to get us. I don't think that's a theologically sound way to live personally. Um, God doesn't want us to be idiots in our life. But that does concern me that that um, we all do have obligations to our neighbors and community, and we have elevated so much our individualism. And I believe in rugged individualism. I do. I, I I think it's the solution to what ails us. And federalism, allowing the states to have more say, is 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 I think the best strategy moving forward. But even I, someone who believes in rugged individualism, also does recognize that I have a responsibility to my neighbors. Uh, I mean, for example, I'm not going to be up cutting my grass at two o'clock in the morning 
because that would be disrespectful to my neighbors. I, I would not be up in the middle of the night playing loud music or racing up and down the street at 3 a.m. That would be disrespectful to my neighbors. I'm not going to paint my house multiple colors and let the grass grow tall uh, because that would not just devalue my house, but uh, my neighbor's houses as well. It would be disrespectful to them. I, I've got obligations to my community. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I'm supposed to do unto others as I would like them to do unto me. And so I believe I've got to have a, a respectful approach and recognize that there are a lot of people who do take the virus seriously. And so my family and my kids need to take actions that minimize our exposure to it. And I'm just not sure that I trust other families to be as responsible. And that is a concern. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there's got to be a measure of grace. There's got to be a measure of trust. And there's got to be a measure of recognition that local communities need to decide this for themselves. You cannot have fiat from the state government uh, in, in an urban area like Atlanta dictating the demands of a place like Wilkinson County, Georgia, that's super rural. Uh, your mileage may vary depending on where you are. And also your schools may vary and, and the quality of education you get may vary. And these are all complicated subjects that are best left to local governments to decide. And we just need to be willing to recognize that local governments may look at the solutions and come up with different conclusions. And we should have enough grace to recognize we have chosen these people to be our leaders and we should be in prayer for them and support them as best we can so that they can make up their mind what they believe is best for the local community and best for their schools. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. There's polling out. There's polling out in Georgia. Uh, let me see. Uh, where did I just uh, see this? Click this. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, righty. Uh, newly released Monmouth Poll of Georgia. Well, it's Monmouth. Uh, Monmouth isn't a great. I mean, they're 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 okay, but they, they don't have the best track record. But they got the president and Joe Biden tied. Uh, which I believe uh, reflects other polling. They also have Purdue ahead of Ossoff's uh, 49-43, which does reflect others. The biggest surprise here, the biggest surprise is Leffler versus Collins. You've got Leffler 26%, Collins 20%, uh, Matt Lieberman at 14%. Uh, Leffler being ahead of Collins is a surprise to everyone. Uh, and I'm sure that the um, I, 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 I'm I'm sure that they um, the Collins team will say, well, it is a Monmouth University poll and Monmouth University poll doesn't have a great track record. At the same time, I, I got to say um, that there are a couple of things I would note. Doug Collins. Everywhere I drive around the state has signs in people's yards and Leffler has signs in people's right-of-ways or in in right-of-ways along the street. At the same time, Leffler has a lot more money than Collins. And she's slow rolling a buildup of support for herself over time. She's got the governor's campaign working with her in South Georgia. She's actually got some some good connections in South Georgia. It's just it it it's it's interesting. It is it's very interesting to see the dynamics of this race. And you know, I I allowed Doug Collins to defend himself on the attacks over the um over his indigent criminal defense representation. I just I think that's a bad attack against him. 
But I, I like Leffler and I like Collins. I'm supporting Leffler. I'm voting for Leffler. I think the governor deserves the right to have his pick in, in the Senate. She has the right to be able to prove herself uh, over time. And thus far, she's proven herself to be a conservative. And so I will support him. But I just genuinely like Doug Collins. I genuinely like the man. Uh, if it is if it is Collins and a Democrat uh, in the in the runoff, I will be knocking on doors as best I can for Collins. I just, I like the guy and I think he'd be great in the Senate. Uh, and, and I wish there was a way to get him there uh, without having to sacrifice Leffler in the process. But I, I ultimately, at the end of the day, it was the governor's right to pick her. And I support Governor Kemp. I trust Governor Kemp. But she's ultimately got to, she's got to figure it out. She's She's got to fire up the engines. And according to Monmouth University, she is. Uh, what I want to focus on more than that, though, is the, is the uh, Purdue-Ossoff race, which I believe that to be true. This polling shows Purdue ahead. Now, it is Monmouth, and Monmouth is not a great um, not a great pollster. But the polling data is consistent with the other polls out there. And remember, it was John Ossoff who himself said in his own poll that they were deadlocked. And that is the best that Ossoff will do. He may go up a, a point or so, but um, I, I just really do believe that the polling where it is aligns accurately with what we're seeing on the ground there. Uh, and the fact that Ossoff is having to try to use the media to distort David Perdue. So have y'all heard about this, that David Perdue runs an attack on John Ossoff that makes his nose look big. It's a, it's a anti-Semitic attack. Now, so if you've seen the, if you've seen the, the supposed attack on John Ossoff, what it does is, is it looks like a staticky TV, his image with wavy lines and it distorts his face. And at one point, the wavy line passes over his nose and makes his nose look a little bigger. So that's anti-Semitism. No, it, it was the style of the, it reminds me, remember back in the day, Alex Castellanos in 1994, I think he did an ad, uh, where it had Democrats and it was broken down how it slid down and, and rats was by itself and big and, <gasps> He's calling the Democrats rats. Nowadays, you call the Republicans Nazis and, and you get applause for it. But, oh, he, he called the Democrats rats. And it was just, it was the style of the ad. Was it intentional? Probably. Who cares? It was just the way that the media sympathetic to the Democrats got outrage over it. And and I think Castellanos lost the contract at the time. He's a good guy, by the way. Um, It's just uh, the, the outrage on this sort of stuff is silly. Uh, David Perdue is an excellent uh, senator. David Perdue has defined himself in Georgia, maybe not to the national press, but to the local press. David Perdue has defined himself as his own man. And according to this poll, he is ahead of John Ossoff. And I think he will win the race. I do. I am very curious about Leffler Collins. So I really am very curious about Leffler Collins uh, and how that shakes out. Either way, we're going to have a great Republican senator uh, in whichever of them wins uh, because they're both good people. Correction, correction. I said Emerson uh, is there. I said Monmouth is the bad university poller. It's Emerson I was thinking of. Monmouth, I'm told, is actually pretty good. Uh, so the Emerson poll or the Monmouth polling, if you're just tuning in, has Purdue ahead of Ossoff uh, by a few points, has uh, Trump and Biden tied, and has Leffler ahead of Collins by six points, and, and Lieberman in third place, not Warnock. Uh, which is uh, somewhat surprising. So good news for for Leffler. We'll see how this plays out. Uh, related to that, I want to go to Mark calling in. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Good. How are you? Um, wonderful, actually. Good. <laughs> um, my point uh, to your caller, or your screener, rather, was 
Collins, I was a huge fan of Collins uh, when he was in the house. Um, not going to lie, I, he had my complete backing. When he lost me was when he went really negative attacks on on Leffler. And I, I have become a huge Kemp supporter. He's acted like a governor. He's acted like a leader. I trust his, I trust his judgment. I'm going to back, um, I'm going back Kemp and in doing so I'm backing Leffler. I just think she deserves a chance. He chose her and for, for the actual party to feel that they want to undermine one of their own really is bothersome to me. And I think a lot of people are going to feel that way. I think she's going to, I, I do think she's going to win because I am going to be a vocal advocate for her on my, you know, social media. And I am not against, you know, throwing a little dirt, you know, when it comes to backing who I feel, you know, she has not done anything wrong. I mean, when she's done good things, like when she used her plane, oh my God, she was attacked for using her plane for good. She's got money. I don't hold that against her. I wish I had her money. I don't. Yeah, me too. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing that someone has achieved what she has achieved. I whatever happened to celebrating? Hey, guess what? She's also a woman has and has done this. Let's lift our women up. And the fact that Kemp chose her, I I looked at it as a positive. Now I know Georgia's divided. It's got some, you know, it's got some division in the party and all that, and you've highlighted that. And uh, I appreciate you actually because I actually didn't know about the Gainesville crowd, um, but I just I, I think Leffler is going to win just because of the way that Collins has attacked her in a really, and he's getting his comeuppance. This last this last ad against him is although not I wouldn't consider it nasty is just pointing out a, a, on a factual basis what he yeah, represented. so you know I, I i i hate attacking people who did indigent criminal defense i mean i i, I yes i have to acknowledge it's fair game I, I hate attacking people for that uh but you know you're right on on this issue and mark this is why i'm supporting leffler as well as i trust governor kemp I think Governor Kemp constitutionally had the right to make the decision, and I think he chose well. I think that the governor uh, put someone in who all the Republicans out there said, I want an outsider, I want an outsider. We're tired of these insiders. So he puts an outsider in, a woman who is an outsider who is self-made, and oh my goodness gracious, uh, you would think the world had ended. Why didn't he pick the insider? Uh, and, and that I have a problem with. I, I genuinely like Doug Collins. I like the team around Doug Collins. I like the people who support Doug Collins. Doug Collins is a prayer warrior for my family, and I am for his. Uh, he is a good dude. And I wish there was a way to get him to the Senate. But as I have told him up front, I like him. He is more than welcome to come on anytime he wants. I will not allow the other side to come on and attack him on this program. I will not allow his side to come on and attack Leffler. I like them both. But I want everyone to know I'm, I'm backing Leffler because I trust Kemp's judgment and think she is owed the opportunity 
uh, to define herself. And thus far, what we've seen is she has been very conservative. And I just don't like the attack on Doug Collins uh, for his indigent criminal representation. And I don't like the attack on her for using her plane to bring home stranded Georgians. Or, or, you know, I wish I had a private plane. I wish I had Kelly Leffler's money. Frankly, I wish her husband would sponsor this radio program uh, to, to help me in lieu of advertisers, help me keep this radio program going. Uh, I, I would love to have access to net jets or a private jet. Y'all don't know how many people recognize me at the airport and yell at me. <laughs> Um, I, I would love to have a private. I would love ha- to have access to her private jet, uh, but but uh, attacking her for having a private jet and being able to fly around the state, I, I just why are we attacking someone who's successful? Why are we attacking success? The conservative movement should be about success. We should be about uh, aspirations that, you know, in in America, one day you can grow up from a farm and you can uh, own the New York Stock Exchange and have a jet. And by the way, she doesn't even have a big jet. I mean, if I had a private, I would want a better private plane. She's got a Challenger or some such. That that thing can I think can barely make it across the Atlantic. If you stop in New York City and refill, maybe it can. I want a Gulfstream or or a a, a global seven thousand seventy five hundred from. But I picked out my private jet, y'all. My private jet is a is a Gulfstream seven hundred with a bed in the back, and it can fit nineteen people and sleep thirteen people, and it can fly me anywhere in the world I want. And it's only seventy million dollars, which is money I don't have. I don't even have money for like a fancy car. Okay, I got a Denali. That is fan, but it's not like an Aston Martin. One day, if this show is successful, I hope to at least have a NetJet subscription and be able to fly back and forth wherever I want to go and take my friends with me on trips and 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 essentially um, it, it be a blessing to my friends. And hey, you want to stay at my beach house this weekend? You, you're having a hard time? Go stay at my beach house. You want to go up to Lake Burton? Stay at my cabin at Lake Burton. My cabin, of course, being an eight bedroom mansion on the lake. But one day, I got aspirations, people. And I just don't think we should attack people for being successful. And and I think it's condescending to say she married into money when it, it is clear from the record that she was actually uh, a self-made person before she married her husband. And so she married her husband, and, and he's a successful person too. And, and they've built wealth together. I, I just, I don't think there's, I, I just, I find that the attacks on Leffler and the attacks on Collins from both sides to be in bad form. I wish they could run this without attacking each other, but I'm a realist. I know it's going to happen. The main thing is I want one of them to make it. If I had Collins and Leffler in the runoff, we could sleep well at night. And that's probably what's going to happen, by the way. We are probably going to see a Collins-Leffler runoff. And I'll be fine with that because either way, we're going to get a great senator. You're going to see a lot of Republicans divided over this one. But it'll it'll be a great time. Now, here's the interesting thing. Conundrum-wise, God forbid the president loses in November. Does he play a meaningful role if it's a Collins left or runoff in January? Does the president play a meaningful role? Will people listen to him? See, I, I've, I've got this thinking in the back of my mind. If, if something happens and the president loses in November, what happens? Who becomes the messenger for his message, because there there is a clear, clear desire for a message like his within the Republican Party. I mean, let, let's do worst case scenario out there. Actually, you know, we can do the best case scenario too. What if he wins? 
But if the president in the worst case scenario, if he loses in November, uh, I think that hurts Mike Pence's chances in 2024. I think he goes down with the ship. So who becomes the messenger for the, the combination of, of Trump and Trumpism? Is it Josh Hawley? Does Mike Pence, does he, does he try in 2024 if he loses in 2020? I think it's easier for the vice president. If the president wins in 2020, in 2024, uh, Mike Pence, I, I think, is the standard bearer. But you're going to have an interesting argument uh, on the right if the president goes down. Was it the president or was it his message or was it a combination of the two? And we will spend four years squabbling about that and, and we'll have a primary process again. And I, I see in my working theory for the Republicans moving forward is that Trumpism and Trump, a heavily populist, less conservative amalgamation, is the president's. It's no one else's. And so whichever Republican in 2024 runs will, to some degree, have a clean slate where they will have to, they they won't be able to fully distance themselves from the president because that will turn people off if they do, unless the the, the, the Democratic victory is so decisive that the GOP is just wiped out. Then I think you do do have a window to run against it. And I don't think that's going to happen. So who, who runs? Now, if the president wins... Well, then the standard bearer becomes Mike Pence, I think, very obviously, and there will be people who challenge Mike Pence. Uh, but I think Pence, if, if if Donald Trump wins in 2020, Mike Pence is the nominee in 2024. I just I, that's, that's the way it works, folks. If Dick Cheney had run in 2008, Dick Cheney would have been the nominee of the Republican Party, not John McCain, and the GOP might have just won. But historically, the party that controls the White House for two terms doesn't hold a third term. Uh, George H.W. Bush uh, was an exception to that rule for Ronald Reagan and and moved with his one term to be uh, kind of prop back up that rule. Hillary Clinton not winning in in 2016 was was a reaffirmation of the rule that the party that controls the White House does it for eight years. The voters get tired and they go in the other direction. Uh, Where this plays out with the Republican Party, I don't know. But I'm going to be fascinated in the conversations. And I actually want to start having conversations uh, and recording podcasts with the leaders of the party moving forward on what does the party look like? Whether the president loses or not, he's going to not be on the ballot in 2024, and others will have the opportunity to define the party for themselves. And how would each of these people define it? It, it, Really, I'm excited to have the conversations. Because, you know, y'all know my view on the president. I do think the president is is a deeply flawed individual. I'm not a huge personal fan of his. Um, You know, look, would I like to hang out with the guy? Yes, we've hung out before. And he's he's a nice guy. I, I I do think character counts though, and 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 I got issues there. But we've gotten from tax cuts to getting out of the Paris deal to getting out of the Iran deal. Uh, I, I think the president has given us some policies. Whether you argue we got them in spite of him or because of him, we've gotten a lot of good stuff from this administration. And he surrounded himself with good people like Mike Pence. Uh, Russ Vote confirmed as the Office of Management and Budget uh, Director is super super effective conservative. You got Neil Gorsuch, you got Brett Kavanaugh, um, you, you got lots of judiciary picks. 
You've got, uh, gosh, uh, William Barr is the attorney general, Mike Pompeo, secretary. You've got great, competent people. Uh, the media wants to, to make all these people into clown show, but they're highly competent, highly effective people. And all of these people are, are going to have say in the direction of the party, arguably more say than the president who will either lose or be term limited in 2024. And, and there will be someone who can shape the party moving forward. And what will those ideas be? I think we can't even speculate really honestly right now, four years removed from the 2024 election, what it's going to look like. Uh, what will the party stand for? But let me tell you one thing I think the party should make a play for. Increasingly, the Democratic Party is a party of rich white atheists. The Democratic Party is not the party of culturally conservative black and Hispanic voters. They have been there for a long time. And I don't think the Republican Party has really made a very persuasive case to lure them away, but I think they can. And when you look at the upcoming crop of Republican candidates who are out there, you have a more diverse and younger array of candidates than the Democratic Party does. All of them intellectually conservative, though they they quibble around the edges. But you've got a party of Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, which is ironic that you have Tim Scott and Nikki Haley from the state that started the Civil War. You've still got Bobby Jindal out there. You've got, was it John James up in Michigan? Brilliant. You've got the the uh, doctor in Tennessee who's running for the Senate. Brilliant. He's running against Common Course candidate up there. The Republican Party has a deep bench uh, of frankly non-white talent that it, that that holds to conservative principles and and the Democratic Party increasingly still is a party of rich white atheists who boo God hate Jesus and don't like the middle class and there is a way I think for the Republican Party to completely collapse the Democrats uh, the Democrats are so convinced that they've got a lock on the next century of American politics, in large part because of using people like Antifa to silence and intimidate everyone else. But increasingly, uh, more and more black and Hispanic voters realize that they're not really even welcome in the Democratic Party. Their votes are wanted, but they are not. And there's a play for the Republican Party long-term in breaking up the Democratic coalition that I, I really think they need to engage in. One of those issues is the Second Amendment. Because we're seeing more and more Hispanic and black gun owners in this country, first-time gun owners. Um, black gun owners tend to drift towards the right, and they should. And if you're one of those new gun owners out there and you want to turn your gun into a work of art, you need to reach out to my friends at True Precision because they can help you. I I'm actually going next week with a friend of mine in Atlanta to take my gun to a gun range and, and fire some rounds. I love it. I've got a Glock 43X. I got it from True Precision. Uh, they, I've got a new barrel. I got a new slide. I got better sights. I got a better grip. We're gonna we're gonna upgrade the trigger too. They just told me. Got an email from them the other day that they got new triggers in, and we need to swap out my trigger. Y'all, I can't commend True Precision enough. Their gun that I have is a work of art. When I take it to a gun range, people want to know where I got it. And like, I, I got it from True Precision. You can get the parts. You don't have to get the gun from them. You get the parts from them. You get the slides. You get the barrel. Uh, you get the grip. You get all of that stuff. Uh, you can upgrade your gun. You can buy those parts online as well. Go to true-precision.com. 
true-precision.com. And when you look on their website, you will see a checkout code. When you put your your the, your new barrel and your new slide in your checkout uh, cart and you go to checkout, there's a discount code. You put Eric in, E-R-I-C-K, and you will get 10% off your purchase. And it is worth it. You will turn your gun into a work of art. You will be on the gun range. People want to know, where did you get that from? And you'll say, true precision. And others will go as well. You know what? They don't have to sell themselves because their guns sell them. They're that good. And you should go check them out today. True-precision.com. Hello, hello. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, I, I I need to, to put in a plug for Dynamic Money here. Uh, I, I really actually do. In fact, I got to sit down and... and uh, answer some questions for them. Uh, now, what, what what questions? Well, my wife and I, we continue to work out our budget plans with them. If you don't know what dynamic money is, you hear Chris Burns ad during the show. He fills in for me sometimes. Uh, dynamic money is a financial planning group uh, that helps you. Uh, they, they really help you dynamically set yourself up for success in life when it comes to handling your money. Uh, they're kind of they serve as, as uh, primary care physicians for your finances, and they don't work on commission. Everything is is for fee. Uh, you pay them, and they help you. Uh, they connect with your. And what I mean by primary care physician is they will connect with all the specialists in your life. Your financial specialist, your your mortgage guy, your life insurance guy, your homeowners insurance guy, your car insurance guy. Your, your, um, they'll, they'll look at all your finances. Can you refinance? What are your, what's your credit card debt? What's your equity in your house? Can you get money out to pay your credit card debts off? Uh, what options are there for saving money, setting aside some money to build up a savings account for an emergency fund? How do you budget? What can you save? They look at all your finances. I, I just, it blew my mind to see just how inefficient my wife and I have been with our money over time. When I started sitting down with them, yeah, I, I actually am a client. Uh, and, and, you know, whether it's True Precision or First Liberty or, or Dynamic Money, I was actually knew them, had a business relationship with them before the show started, and they stepped up to support me. Uh, and I want to support them. And, but more so, I know they support me because I am a client of theirs, and they have helped me pay off credit card debt. They helped me build up a reserve fund to be able to take a vacation with my family to Hilton Head, which uh, I didn't have a TV contract anymore and couldn't just write a check. Uh, they helped me plan stuff. I am bad at budgeting, and they are very good at it, and they're very good at teaching you. But more importantly, and pay attention to this one, please, they'll manage your 401k for you, or they'll give you advice on what to do about your 401k. They'll help you restructure it. But also, and this is important, they'll help your kids learn money management techniques. And that's something I struggle with. It's not something I learned as a kid. And I want my kids to be smarter about money than I am. And dynamic money makes your kids and you smarter about money. If you want to use them, again, it's 100% fee. They are not going to sell you something. They're not going to sell you life insurance. They're not going to sell you an annuity. They're not going to make a commission off of you. They just want to give you sound advice on your retirement planning and on your budgeting. And you go to dynamicmoney.com and check them out. I cannot praise them enough, y'all. They can work with you anywhere in the nation that you're listening to me. You can go to dynamicmoney.com. They can meet you on Zoom. They can meet you on FaceTime. They can meet you on Skype. They can meet you in person. And I can't recommend them enough. Um, the peace of mind they've given Christian me for financial stability is incredible. For years, I stressed about living paycheck to paycheck. And I went from making... Y'all, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I went from making a ton of money to my paycheck got cut. Two-thirds of my paycheck got cut because I, I, I walked away from TV. Fox didn't really want me. I didn't really want to stay. 
uh, and that was a huge chunk of my income gone. And I still had debts from when I was making that much money. And they were able to help me restructure. They were able to help me pay stuff off, stuff I never would have thought of, never would have considered. So please go to dynamicmoney.com and let Chris Burns' team help you guys like they help Christian me. It'll give you great peace of mind. You'll sleep well at night.